Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Tonight we begin a series on the Gospels, which we will complete this month, the month of February, Lord willing, and winter does not rear its ugly head again. We will... By the way, who watched last week? Did you watch? I watched in my pajamas. It was a beautiful thing. It was awesome. The girls were doing cartwheels, and I kept saying, we're watching Dad. We're in church, but it was just a great time, and I was glad that it wasn't my week. (laughs) So I thought it was a, a great option. I thought it was a great lesson leading up to Team Sunday. So... Each week in the month of February, we're going to look at one of the Gospels specifically. And so hopefully, since there's four Wednesdays in the month, we will be complete. Um, By the end, we'll look at the authors of each of these books, their unique perspective and approach to telling the good news of Jesus Christ through their account of his life. All right, and so one of our hopes is that this different way of looking at scripture here at Growth University will inspire you to maybe look for a new way to study scripture. I think it's important that we, um, you know, are open to a new approach. Maybe it's reading a book during your devotional time. Maybe it's a a character study, somebody that you feel like maybe God just kind of keeps bringing up their story and you just take that as an indication. You know what? I'm going to study this person in Scripture. That's what I'm going to do during my Bible reading time. Because really, like anything, the same thing, the same thing, it can get stagnant. It can get old. We can start losing our passion and our fervor for studying the Word of God if we're not intentional about it. And that's what we're trying to be here on a Wednesday night. So as I begin my introduction to the Gospels, I just want to say for the record that the Gospels are always a great place to start reading in Scripture. All right? And so if somebody comes up to you, maybe it's your kid, it's your young adult, maybe it's somebody at work, somebody who maybe doesn't even really know who Jesus is. They're not even claiming to be a believer, but they ask you, the Bible's a big book. Where should I start reading? If I were you, I would recommend the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because these four men who wrote these four books were eyewitnesses to Jesus's ministry. They represent a third of the original 12 disciples. It's very simple. Start with Jesus. That's a perfect place to start. No matter if you are a seasoned saint that's just kind of in a rut in your devotional life, or you are a brand new believer, the Gospels have something to say and speak into your life that will help you because they are about Jesus. Amen. I've got a quote, a couple of quotes I want to read to you because I thought they were so profound. The Gospels continue to captivate the world's attention. It goes without saying that these foundational documents continue to be critically important for the church and for the doctrine and practice of Christianity. Second quote says this, There can be no doubt that the four Gospels of the Christian Bible are of fundamental significance for Christian life 
and Christian thought. Amen. We want to be Christians, right? We want to be like Christ. What better way to start doing that or try to refresh ourselves and what that means by studying the life of Christ. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the foundation of our faith. I would say they're like the cornerstones, if you will. Not the men themselves, but the books that they wrote. They're the cornerstones of what we believe as apostolics. Because they answer very important questions concerning Jesus, like, how did he spend his time here on earth? What did he teach? With whom did he spend time? What did he do? What did he say right before he left the planet? And more importantly, what does all of that information mean to you and I in the world that we live in, in the circumstances that we are faced with every day? The answers we find in their divinely inspired writings are the basis for how we live our lives as Christians. And so how do their accounts of events that took place thousands of years ago affect us as believers in the 21st century? Simply stated, the studying of the Gospels will keep us from serving a Jesus of our own creation. Let's just settle that in for just a second. Because we can come up with a Jesus that makes us feel good and a practice of Christianity that makes us look good publicly, maybe even on social media, but we need the Gospels to tell us who Jesus is, not who we want him to be, not who we think him to be, not even who we hope him to be. The Gospels let us know all that we need to know about Jesus. And so hopefully at the end of this month, if you walk away from this series with a fresh approach to key books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that understanding gives you this sense of motivation, tell me more about Jesus. I need to know more about Jesus. Not just based on my day-to-day experience, but what does the holy, divinely inspired word of God. We are not just looking at books written by men, but the Bible lets us know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word actually means it was God breathed. God gave those men the words. God chose the stories that they share with us. God framed all of those verses, all those chapters in very specific ways to help you and I grow in our relationship with God and share that understanding with other people. Because here's the deal. Jesus is the answer. He'll always be the answer. He is the solution. He is the source of all that is good in us and all that is good in our lives. Amen. And so tonight I want to begin by giving you three things that all four writers had in common. And I've got different points throughout the lesson to just maybe help you if you're looking for things to write down. I see notebooks. That's so exciting. That's so awesome. So the first thing is all of these men were Jews. This is very important to understand that they knew who Jesus was and they understood who he was claiming to be. This is important. Because they would have never followed Jesus if they believed that he was claiming to only be part of God. 
or a representative of God because they were Jews. They were raised with the Shema every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That idea of one God, one being, one divine person was the cornerstone. It was central to their faith. And so if Jesus was claiming to be anything other than God, the disciples would not have followed him because they were Jews. All right? Because who Jesus is makes all the difference in the world. Knowing who he is impacts your salvation experience and how you approach him in your relationship with God. You must know who Jesus is because there is still deep confusion about who Jesus is, specifically in the church. And so that's why we as apostolics look to the gospels. We look to the book of Acts to figure out who Jesus was and who he was claiming to be. Number two, all of them were disciples. Now, I know most of you know that, but just maybe to shed a little bit more light on that, it was not uncommon at that time to be invited to study closely under a rabbi or a teacher, which Jesus was widely accepted as a teacher, a good man. He was just not widely accepted as claiming to be God, the Messiah. Okay? It was considered a high honor, though, to be invited by a teacher like Jesus, come and follow me. That was a high honor and not something that was just exclusive to Jesus and to his disciples. And so what we have in these four books are eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And though they are all different, all work harmoniously to give us a multifaceted look into Jesus's time on earth. What a treasure that is to us. So far removed from that time and place to actually have people who were there, who knew Jesus, who spent their days with him for a period of time. And this is the way Bishop Dad used to explain the importance of the Gospels and the fact that they are different. We don't deny that. They are unique. But this is how dad would explain it. It's like having four different cameras, different operators, different video cameras, different angles, if you will, recording the same shot, the same events. It's like my sisters and I. There are four of us. How about that? Perfect illustration. And what we would tell you about our dad and his awesomeness could be very different based on our camera angle, based on our birth order, where we were in the family, what our relationship was like with him. But I can guarantee you, and I think we proved it, that we will all essentially say the same thing. And so it is with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even though they record things differently, their writing style is different, I would say even their audiences that they had in mind are different. They are all going to tell you the same things about Jesus. And then the third thing that all four authors had in common is they all wrote their Gospels in Greek. And they wrote it anonymously. They do not identify themselves. Okay? So we make this point tonight to bring to light a significant point for us as apostolics, that while the Gospels were written in the Greek language, which was a common language of the day, you could argue it was kind of like English. Everybody essentially understood it. It was very common. The writers were not under the influence of Greek philosophy. 
okay? Hear me out. Don't, don't just shut me off because I said that, okay? I know that's dry. I'm making a point. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all writing about Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament that they loved, that they cherished as Jews and were taught from the time they were children. See, Greek philosophy and culture was rooted in pagan views, specifically about God. Not only did they accept a plurality of gods, but the Greeks viewed God as aloof. He was some distant, far-off deity, not really connected or terribly interested in mankind. And this was certainly not the experience or the belief of the disciples, right? So the point I'm making is though they wrote in Greek, they did not think like the Greeks. And that becomes very important later in church history. Even though the language used in reference to God may sound confusing at times, especially in King James English... We approach these verses with the clarity that comes from knowing that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John believed that Jesus Christ was Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And so tonight, we will begin our study with the Gospel of John. John is my favorite. And when Tom explained to me how we were going to approach this series... And he said, okay, you're going to take two, and I'm going to take two. I quickly said, I get John. So it was a very spiritual, deep, (laughs) theological process that we went through to decide. But John is my man. I love him, and I'm going to find him when I get to the New Jerusalem. So, but the way that I justify it, the fact that we are doing the last gospel first, is number one, Jesus said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be first. But also that John's gospel is very unique in that it was written much later than the other three. Most scholars agree that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written about the same time. But John actually, and we'll get into it a little bit more, took a lot longer to write his gospel. So he kind of stands on his own. So if you, you know, have OCD and you're freaked out that we are starting with the last gospel, I'm sorry. I just want to. Okay. So... I want to begin by making points concerning John the man. So we're going to look at John the man and then John the gospel, okay? So the first point is he was the last surviving apostle. Obviously, this is not a picture of him. But I like to use pictures because I want you to get into your subconscious. This is a real person. He really lived. He's not a cartoon illustration that we use in Sunday school. John was a man He was the last surviving apostle, and he lived to be an old man, hence why we want an old man in our picture. And we do not know for certain how he died, but it's believed by many and supported through church tradition that he was the only disciple to die by natural causes. The second thing we know is that he was known as John the Beloved, and he referred to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In fact, in John 13, 23, We see John sitting beside Jesus at the Last Supper, and he even makes reference to this disciple leaning on Jesus in that particular verse. The next thing we know is that he was a part of Jesus' inner circle among the disciples. Peter, James, and John were pulled aside at least three different times that we know of by Jesus 
The first time was in the raising of Jairus' daughter. Jesus actually asked them to come into the room with him. They were present at the Mount of Transfiguration. What a story they had to tell after that experience, right? And it was Peter, James, and John that Jesus asked to come aside with him in the Garden of Gethsemane and stay up and pray. John was the disciple that was uh, James, the disciple's brother, the sons of Zebedee, or the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them. I think it's kind of cool to get a nickname from Jesus. Albeit, there are you know, reasons to believe it wasn't exactly a compliment. Jesus was essentially saying, we have work to do, and I'm aware of that, but I'm still going to make you my disciples. Um, but I think it's interesting to look at John in light of the fact that John went from one of the sons of thunder to John the Beloved. Because being around Jesus can change anybody, right? Amen. Jesus, would, or I'm sorry, John was the only disciple present at the crucifixion. The Bible is specific to let us know that. John was assigned by Jesus to care for his mother while he was dying on the cross. And John was one of the two disciples who went to the tomb after the women declared Jesus had risen. And so based on these facts, because everything in the Bible is there for a reason, every detail, I believe, let us consider how these points about John create a better lens through which we can read his gospel. Simply put, John placed himself in close proximity to Jesus. We know this to be true in the physical sense. He was at the cross. He was at the tomb. In fact, the Bible says that he actually went inside the tomb. Peter, true to form, shows up and is like, ah! he's not here and he leaves. But John, the beloved, actually, the Bible says he actually looks in there. He confirms, he assesses the situation, and the Bible says John saw and believed. And so I think it's also fair to deduce that Jesus put John in close proximity to him as well. John had a place of honor next to the Lord at the Last Supper. Now, we understand that John probably did not understand the significance of that moment at that time. Nevertheless, Jesus gave John the honor of sitting by him at what would be his last meal, his last time with the disciples before his death. And so John gives us an eyewitness account and one that is clearly unique from the others. If the four disciples who wrote gospels were news reporters, John would have the exclusive story. It is what is known as beat reporting in the world of journalism. He had the inside track. He had been given an all-access pass for security by Jesus Christ. And so now let's look at points concerning John the Gospel. It's interesting to know that John lived in Ephesus when his time with Jesus and the disciples was over, when everybody kind of panned out and did their thing, and eventually John was an old man, the only one left. He lived in a hub of pagan worship. No doubt he passed the great temple of Artemis, and John opens his book by establishing who Jesus is. Emma, come up here and help me. This is my fierce and fabulous firstborn, you guys, who is also a Bible quizzer. And since I didn't use her the last time I taught, I told her, she's up. It's her turn. 
And so she is going to quote for us some verses from John's gospel that she's learning in Pentecostal doctrine this year. And she's going to be quoting uh, from the King James Version. So the point I was making is John opens his book by establishing who Jesus is. So Emma, John 1, 1 and verse 14, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Very good. Hold on just a minute. And so God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. John wants us to know that, first of all, that he became a man. Jehovah was not like the gods praised in the temples all around where John lived in Ephesus. But Jesus actually became the tabernacle. His physical body was the temple. He was God in flesh. And it is a central theme to the entire book of John. Now Emma's going to quote John 8, 57 and 58. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. John ten thirty, Emma. I and my father are one. John fourteen eight through ten, please. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And the Lord said unto him, Believe us on earth. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been? Have I been so long time with you? And hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then? Shows the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Thank you very much. Wasn't that awesome? Those are hard verses to quote. Excellent. And so you see this pattern of John going back to Jesus' deity. Jesus is God. Jesus is the word made flesh. It's a theme to the entire book. Because John lived in a city dominated by superstition, by idolatry, evil practices, deep spiritual darkness. But it was John who would write, In him was life, and the life was the light of of men. John's perspective is unique. We could say based on the revelation about who Jesus is in the very first chapter that his approach to Jesus's identity is cosmic. It's huge. In the beginning, the word was with God. The fact that the creator became a man was central to John's view of Jesus. The word was God. God had a plan, John is telling us, from the very beginning of creation. The solution to what would taint God's creation, this sin problem, the solution was present in the beginning because God would be made manifest in the flesh. John was a keen observer He wasn't just physically present and close to where the action was actually happening, but John took it all in. We we talked already about him at the tomb and his reaction versus Peter just kind of bolted and didn't savor the moment. But John was the first to recognize Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. The random stranger giving out fishing advice from the shoreline. It was John who said, that's Jesus, you guys. Kudos to John. 
And so John was likely written a few decades after the others. We mentioned this from the very beginning. But this means that the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were copied. They were written. They were already in circulation long before John would write down his. He was the last living apostle. Essentially, John had more time to consider to ponder, to rehearse, if you will, his version of Jesus' story before he began the task of putting it into writing. A daunting task, I'm sure. But I think it's interesting to realize that John had perhaps more than 60 years to reflect on his time with Jesus Christ. Time changes and informs our perspective, doesn't it? And so can you imagine how true that would be if you were a disciple of Jesus, decades removed from walking dusty roads with him and watching the miraculous unfold day after day? John, an old man living in Ephesus, has decided it's time to write the story like I know it. And so here's a quote from Clement of Alexandria, who was a second century Christian theologian. He said, John perceived the facts had been made plain by the other gospel writers. They were already out there. But being urged by his friends and inspired by the Spirit, John composed a spiritual gospel. He got more into it because time had passed and he had had a long time to think about Jesus and what he did and what his life had meant to all of us. And so after 60 years, John sits down to write his gospel, the last one to be recorded. And when we read John, we see three key things. And these are my final points, and then we'll go into our app time. The first theme of John's gospel is Jesus' deity. We've already established that a little bit, but let me go a little bit further with it. From his opening statement to his final remarks, John seems motivated by sharing the importance of Jesus' unique mission on earth. He uses every means to illustrate the fact that Jesus did for us what only Jesus could do for us. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus is all of these things that I'm about to read. Now, I just want you to, as powerful as all of this is, this came from the book of John. Are you ready? Jesus was the word in flesh, the lamb of God, the light of the world, the comforter, the spirit of truth, healer, forgiver of sin, living water, the bread of life, the living word, the light of the world, the I am the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the Messiah, the way, the truth, the door, the vine, and finally our high priest. Wow. That's what walking with Jesus and having a lifetime to think about it. That's the kind of revelation that we can be given. The second theme we see in the Gospel of John are the recordings of Jesus' miracles, specifically the ones that John chose to record. John actually refers to these miracles as signs. 
And he refers to the first sign, which is the turning of water into wine, as the beginning of signs. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 11 actually says, Through this sign, Jesus manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. I'm going to give you seven. Can you read that? Is that readable? Okay, good. I can't read it, but I hope that you can. I I listed for you seven miracles recorded by John. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to go through them. But turning water into wine, healing of the nobleman's son, healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the blind man, the raising of Lazarus, and finally the raising of Jesus. Those things alone would be a powerful Bible study to do on your own. And so John is referred to as the gospel of belief. Through the recording of these miracles, John the Beloved affirms the importance of faith in our approach and relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he said this, through this sign, Jesus manifested his glory. His disciples believed on him. John acknowledged faith is very important. In our relationship with God. And finally, the, the uh, last theme I want to highlight is the festivals and the celebrations that the Bible lets us know. John lets us know Jesus actually went and was a part of. In short, through his recording of Jesus' attendance at these religious feasts, they weren't just parties, but they were uh, rooted in, uh, in tradition based on events that happened in Israel's history. John is making clear to his readers that Jesus was the embodiment of all of these feasts, all the things that they were celebrating, that Jesus was actually the fulfillment of all of them. I'm not going to go through all of the feasts listed in John, but I'm going to give you a couple of examples to make sure you understand what I'm saying. The Passover. We know that Jesus went to at least three Passover celebrations And John's the one who recorded John the Baptist's words, Behold the Lamb of God. That's what the the celebration of the Passover was about, right? Celebrating the death angel passing over the blood that protected them. And here Jesus is standing at that feast. And it would be his blood that would remove the need for any Passover, any sacrifice of a lamb. Jesus was the Lamb of God. And there he was at these feasts. And that's what John's trying to tell us. Jesus is the feast. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The second feast I want to highlight for you is the Feast of Tabernacles. This celebrated the Lord's provision in the desert after the Israelites left Egypt. And part of this celebration, part of their tradition, was to transport water to the temple. And it was at this feast that Jesus stood up and said, He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John's saying, Jesus is the living water. He is that feast of tabernacles. He's fulfilled it. That is an exciting study too, isn't it, Robin? Jesus in the feast. All right. So we have come to our app time. It's 816. And so what I would like for you to do, I have Two different tracks for you in conversation with the people around you. The first one is, what characteristic of John do you identify with most? Okay? We went specific kind of into his personal history as much as we know. If there's something you identify with. And then the second thing is, 
What is your favorite description of Jesus that John uses and why? So we talked about the vine, the door, the resurrection, the life, all those powerful things. Pick one of those descriptions that John uses and which one means the most to you, maybe just right now, and explain to somebody why. All right? So here we go. Make sure nobody is left out, that everybody has somebody to talk to. We're going to take a few minutes. Okay. If you want to just conclude what you're saying, just wrap it up. Enjoy hearing everybody. You can stand with me. Um, I thought it would be fitting to read to you the last two verses of the last two chapters in the book of John. Because what better way to summarize the point of all that was written than from John's point of view. John 20 verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And then from John 21, the final chapter, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And I just love this. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so I think that's a powerful perspective to have the next time you read the book of John to realize the author of that gospel said, you know what? The world couldn't contain the books to describe and explain everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus is, but these are written for you. John was divinely inspired by the Spirit of God to record exactly what he wrote. Those aren't just random musings of an old disciple reliving the glory days of when Jesus was walking the earth, but that was an anointed, powerful disciple one of the chosen 12 who had had 60 plus years to reflect and to grow in his relationship with God. And when it was time for him to write his gospel, this is what he recorded. He wanted us to know who Jesus was. You could say that he was stressing to us the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not enough to be in the multitude. It's not enough to be a recipient of the miracle, but we have to know who Jesus is, that if we need a door, he is the door, that if we're in trouble, he's the vine. We've got to be connected to him. We've got to know that if we're in sadness, if we're in sickness, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the healer. He is the comforter. He is the spirit of truth. He is the Lamb of God. He came for everyone, and only he could do it. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Filthy, rotten humanity. John understood that the God who hung the stars humbled himself and became a man. Why? Because he wanted to save us from our 
sins. Let's pray together. I feel the presence of the Lord. Jesus, your word is so powerful that just talking about it stirs us. Just talking about your word. We feel you come so near because John told us that you are the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It became flesh and it lived among us. You were tempted like us, Lord. You were bruised. You were wounded. You were hurt. You were disappointed by other people. And yet you were completely God. The full measure of what was required for sin to pay the price. You were the Lamb of God. You were the suffering servant. You were Yahweh. That was who you claimed to be. That's who these amazing men who wrote to us to help us believe in you. That was their motivation. That was their understanding that we would know much more about you than just what you can do for us. Much more than just your power and your authority authority over creation, but that you came to be among us, to be with us. And consequently, whatever we need in our lives, Jesus, you are, and so much more. And so as we grow in our relationship with you, as we grow even in years, may we be like John the Beloved, who stayed in close proximity to Jesus And in spite of all the wonderful things he was a part of, all the things that he witnessed, God, he walked away from all of that saying the most important thing is knowing Jesus, is being in relationship with you in such a way that you can be everything that we need you to be. And as seasons change and things come into our lives, we can know you more. What a privilege. In Jesus' name, anoint our time in your word this week and talk to us. Bring us safely back to your house. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.